Hello and welcome back to Food Toxicology. I'm Greg Muller, the instructor for the course. Now when I say pasteurization to most students, uh, they immediately think of milk or dairy products and the food safety process to decrease uh, foodborne pathogenesis uh, from these types of products. The lecture we're going to talk about today, we're going to talk about food irradiation. Food irradiation is regarded by some as a, a method of cold pasteurization uh, to decrease uh, uh, food pathogens and also to increase uh, shelf stability of many perishable food products. Our learning objectives here today, what we're going to try to do is define what food irradiation is. We're going to try to explore the background of ionizing radiation from a scientific perspective, what exactly is happening in this particular process and how it can be applied to food. We're going to try to describe the various food irradiation processes. There's three of them. Uh, we're going to try to list some of the benefits of food irradiation, as well as some of the concerns for food safety, food quality, and also the non-food-based concerns of food irradiation, things like environmental impacts of any nuclear process. We're going to try to briefly explore some of the range of consumer opinions about food irradiation, and there are many. Um, and we'll well, as well try to explore the current food uses and potential future of food irradiation. What we find is that food irradiation is exposure of food products to ionizing radiation. That's key that we talk about ionizing radiation because radiation comes in many shapes and sizes. We use this to destroy microorganisms or insects and parasites that might cause disease or spoilage of food products. When we decrease spoilage, we increase the amount of food available for human consumption. Therein lies the potential strong benefit of a food process like irradiation. We can compare uh, ionizing radiation to non-ionizing radiation that we use in normal food processing, such as cooking, which is an infrared process, or uh, microwave ovens, which is uh, essentially absorption of microwave energy in with the water molecules. Ionizing radiation is different. It, uh, it is from x-rays or the radioactive decay of radioactive elements produces uh, alpha particles, beta particles, or gamma rays. Typically it's gamma rays that we use in food irradiation. In terms of ionizing radiation, it can cause chemical reactions and alterations of chemicals in tissues. Uh, in high dose, as you all know, it can be toxic, radi radiation poisoning, uh, or fatal uh, to humans. Uh, we do not make the food product radioactive when we do food irradiation. In terms of the interaction of this ionizing radiation and any organism, uh, the reactivity is with primarily the water that's in the organism. Uh, what we can find is that it will produce uh, superoxide radicals, hydroxyl radicals, uh, hydroperoxyl radicals, and hydrogen peroxide. We dealt with all of these oxidizing substances when we talked about oxidative stress from free radicals. And so we're using the same process, this uh, 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 oxidative stress process, uh, but this is not a toxic endpoint of concern in humans. We're essentially trying to intoxicate the organisms uh, to kill them off via some oxidative processes. And if you remember the endpoints of oxidative stress uh, in our target organ toxicology slide set, uh, these endpoints include lipid peroxidation, DNA strand breaks. And this is important because if you have a strand break in DNA, there is the inability of that DNA to replicate. Uh, there's enzyme inactivation, covalent binding to nucleic acids, and covalent binding to proteins of various oxidative byproducts. The direct ionization of organic molecules can actually leave carbonium ions uh, that can alkylate uh, DNA, again uh, causing a potential mutagenesis and uh, non-reproduction of uh, the organism. This is useful if our target organisms are microbes. Uh, in terms of ionizing radiation and human population, uh, the concern we have most is radon. Uh, it's a noble gas that emits alpha particles. If you live in that part of the country where radon escapes from local geology, and this can include, for instance, granitic deposits in the subsurface, 
Uh, sometimes that radon can collect in your basements. Uh, it is the largest radiation exposure in the human populations and presents the greatest amount of radioactive risk to the human population. In terms of how we use uh, radioactive decay for food or radiation, radioactive decay is defined as the decrease in the amount of uh, any radioactive material with the passage of time. And this is due to the spontaneous emission uh, from the atomic nuclei of alpha or beta particles, and these can be accompanied by a photon event uh, referred to as gamma radiation. I've given the formula for the uh, radioactive decay of cobalt-60, a radionuclide uh, that is used in food processing. The image you see here is uh, radioactive uh, um, uh, cobalt-60 that's been immersed in water, and this is typically done to keep it cool uh, during the stasis uh, process. Uh, the glowing you hear about, and, and uh, people uh, will refer to as the radioactive glow, uh, Chernikov radiation uh, is characteristics of radioactive decay and the high amount of energy in the interaction of uh, excited state water, giving this luminescence, the glow, if you will. In terms of uh, cobalt-60 radioactive decay, to give you an example of how we use radioactive decay and some of the energy uh, put off in food or radiation, uh, we have cobalt-60, a radionuclide, its half-life, uh, the time it takes for 50% uh, of the original radionuclide to decay, in this case is about 5.24 years. Uh, this is a moderate uh, half-life. Uh, some uh, metastable and unstable radionuclides have half-lives in seconds or minutes or hours while others, such as plutonium, have half-lives on the order of tens of thousands of years. Uh, in terms of the decay of cobalt-60, it decays by emitting a 0.31 megaelectron volt beta particle, uh, producing nickel-60. Nickel-60 metastable state, uh, still radioactive, emits a gamma photon of 1.17 uh, megaelectron volts, or MEVs, uh, it then proceeds to another uh, state, uh, finally uh, to its ground state, nickel, by emitting another gamma ray at 1.33 uh, MEVs uh, in terms of gamma radiation. So these high-energy photons, the gamma radiation here, is what's actually used in food irradiation. Beta particles are actually relatively weak in terms of its ability, their ability to migrate through materials. Now, in terms of radioactive decay products, I've said alpha particles, beta particles, and gamma rays. It's good to know and understand what these are in terms of our understanding of radioactive decay. An alpha particle is a positively charged uh, particle that uh, ejects spontaneously uh, from the nuclei of uh, a radionuclide. Uh, it has low penetrating power and a relatively short range in terms of uh, human interaction. It uh, will generally fail to uh, penetrate the dead layers covering uh, the surface of our skin. Alpha uh, uh, isotopes are actually, alpha emitting isotopes are actually hazardous uh, in terms of uh, radiation safety uh, because uh, uh, they essentially will be uh, decaying, shooting off of these little particles, and if they are uh, absorbed uh, into the body via our food or water in terms of natural um, contamination, uh, perhaps a, a nuclear event, uh, uh, this is uh, one that is not a good health outcome in terms of the incessant nature of uh, radioactive decay and the tissue damage associated with exposure to the energy associated with radioactive decay. Beta particles are charged particles. They are also emitted from a nucleus during this decay process. Its mass is about one two, two thousandths of a proton. Uh, it's a negatively charged beta particle is identical to an electron, where a positively charged beta particle is called a positron. Um, large amounts of beta, beta radiation may cause some skin burning. Uh, typically, beta uh, particles can be shielded by thin sheets of either metal or plastic. Uh, many students, and especially graduate students, may have uh, worked with uh, some beta particle emitters in terms of radio labeling substrates in uh, research laboratories, and typically you will work uh, behind not only lead, but sometimes uh, 
sheets of acrylic plastic to make sure that you're, you're not uh, impacted. Gamma rays are high energy short wavelength electromagnetic uh, radiation. They're photons, uh, a packet of energy that are emitted from the nucleus uh, in terms of the decay of these radionuclides. It frequently accompanies alpha and beta particle emissions, uh, and they always accompany a fission process. Uh, these uh, gamma rays are strong enough to be considered ionizing radiation. Uh, they're very penetrating. These ones are, these energy uh, units are uh, stopped by very dense uh, materials such as lead or uranium or thick walls of concrete. And so this is your typical sort of uh, uh, radioactive uh, safety issue in terms of having thick walls, uh, lead materials, lead containers uh, to stop uh, gamma radiation. Uh, they're similar to x-rays in the fact that they have no mass or charge. It's good for us to be able to look at the electromagnetic spectrum in terms of analysis of um, these uh, energies. Uh, here is kind of a, 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 the visible spectrum of UV from about 400 nanometers to about 700 nanometers in terms of the wavelength uh, visible uh, to IR. It's actually a small segment here identified in white on this uh, graphic. Uh, of what we actually uh, see in terms of the visible spectrum. Uh, in terms of uh, food preparation, thermal infrared uh, is the cooking energy that we are most typically using, whether it's by flame or by uh, electrical resistance or steam in ovens. Um, microwave radiation, in terms of the advent of the microwave uh, um, uh, about uh, 25, 30 years ago, in terms of common use in food production. But as we go in this direction, we go higher energy. And so uh, the UVs and the VUVs are the, the, uh, the uh, photons that give us sunburn. Uh, they're more energetic. As you get out in here past the ultraviolet, you find X-rays and finally gamma rays being highly energetic. And these are ionizing radiation up here. In terms of how we measure uh, radiation, uh, for example, in applications like food irradiation, uh, we use the unit of gray. Uh, a gray is the absorption of one joule of radiation, that's an energy unit, uh, by one kilogram of matter. And so one gray is equal to one joule per kilogram. You may hear often, especially in the U.S., uh, the term RAD. Um, these are radiation absorbed, uh, absorbed dose. Uh, RADs are the older unit. There is an equivalence that 100 RADs is equal to one gray if you want to interpret across the two units. I'm encouraging that you learn and adopt the gray and the kilogray, uh, which is 1,000 grays as the units, especially in reference to food irradiation. In terms of the lethal doses of radiation, uh, we have all of those potential oxidative stress outcomes in terms of uh, how uh, radiation, ionizing radiation can interact via the production of all of these oxidizing substances and reactive endpoints in the molecules of life. In terms of vegetative bacteria, about 0.5 to 10 kilogray is the range of lethal dose. Bacterial spores significantly higher, and so if we want to sterilize a food product for bacterial spores, we have to get extremely high in terms of the ionizing energy, the radiation dose uh, associated with food radiation. For people and animals, uh, we're not trying to kill them, but it's good to know what the radiation dose is that uh, will bring on lethality, and this can be five one-thousandths of a gray to ten one-thousandths of a kilogray. Um, these are very small levels uh, uh, in terms of uh, our ability. And typically, radiation sickness, radiation poisoning is uh, an overdose of damage, if you will, uh, to the human body such that we cannot compensate our systems, for instance, of repair, uh, our fibrotogen to repair uh, leaks and oxidative damage, uh, turnover of key critical enzymes. Uh, is sufficiently uh, diminished that uh, uh, radiation sickness uh, can often be terminal. Um, insects, lethal doses, uh, a tenth to one kilogray. Now, in terms of food irradiation, this is the radiation energy typically as gamma rays applied uh, to food. Uh, this radiation does not induce radioactivity in the food, an important point to make. 
So when you hear in common parlance, for instance, in the application of microwaves to nuclear food, uh, uh, microwave application is not a nuclear process at all. Uh, and food irradiation uh, is a nuclear process only in that we are using the energy from nuclear decay to produce the changes in the food product. We are not introducing radioactivity. Uh, in food irradiation, we typically will use uh, either gamma radiation, uh, and that can be ionizing radiation from uh, cobalt-60 radionuclide or cesium-137. Cobalt-60, again, has a 5.2-year half-life. Cesium has about a 12-year half-life. In terms of managing the source, uh, both of these are uh, useful. Uh, cesium-137 and cobalt-60 are both uh, medical use isotopes, if you've ever heard of radiation therapy, uh, for either imaging or for cancer therapy. Uh, we also use uh, x-rays, and you saw on the graphic, in terms of the energy spectrum, that these are high-energy photons. These typically are from uh, x-ray tubes, where we have a high-energy photon that results from accelerating a beam of electrons with uh, typically uh, tungsten metal uh, in uh, an, an, an x-ray uh, cathode tube. We also are finding application in terms of food radiation from uh, accelerate electrons uh, where we have an electron beam accelerator and we use these accelerate electrons to ionize uh, food products as well. Uh, what happens with these uh, various types of ionizing radiation? They pass through the food. They have sufficient energy. Uh, you saw that we need lead or uh, five-foot concrete to actually stop uh, uh, gamma radiation. Uh, it easily passes through a food product and uh, does its ionizing uh, job on the way through the food product. What we find is that uh, Ionizing radiation <coughs> does pass through a food product without generating intense heat. Uh, the intense heat that might be associated with some sterilization processes like uh, pasteurization. So that's where you get the term cold pasteurization uh, that some people call food irradiation. Uh, in this ionizing uh, radiation will disrupt uh, some cellular processes. Uh, and uh, because it will scissor DNA, uh, can scissor DNA at high enough uh, radiation level doses, uh, it can inhibit uh, various processes such as uh, sprouting and uh, microorganism replication. In terms of the historical use and application of ionizing radiation in food technology, um, we had the discovery of x-rays in 1895 by William Rentgen, uh, showing actually uh, he discovered this by uh, actually putting his hand up, holding a piece of metal in front of an x-ray beam, and seeing the image of his hand uh, appear on a screen, uh, essentially saying that the x-rays would go through soft tissue but not uh, bone. In 1896, just a year later, it was suggested for use in food preservation. Uh, 1903, very early on, over a century ago, it was patented by the U.S. and France. Uh, primarily a destruction of parasites like uh, Trichinella and pork. The cost and scarcity of radiation sources uh, was uh, a problem in terms of industry interest. Uh, there was, in terms of early application of x-rays and the power associated with early x-ray machines, uh, uh, a uh, adverse sensory attribute development. Uh, military research continued in terms of sterilization for stable field rations. In 1962, the Army Research Facility in Massachusetts did a lot of the uh, background research on food irradiation, primarily for military rations. Uh, they demonstrated meat shelf life in years uh, without refrigeration, and they performed many of the early safety studies uh, that is the basis for much of the toxicology data associated with uh, especially human food consumption of irradiated food products. In 1958, the U.S. Uh, FDA uh, ruled traditional uh, irradiation uh, as a food additive, and so we now have the interface of food irradiation and FFDCA. It is part of the food additives amendment. 
Um, this somewhat uh, delayed commercialization because now um, everything associated with food irradiation had to go through a petition under FFDCA. Uh, the industry finally lost interest in the late 1960s. Uh, there was an FDA approval of irradiation of potatoes for sprout inhibition and for grains to reduce insect infestation. In 1965, we find that the Surgeon General uh, announced that uh, irradiated foods were safe and wholesome. Uh, NASA has been uh, using food irradiation for uh, rations for its astronauts. Uh, uh, especially for um, uh, high-energy, uh, high-dose uh, sterilization processes. In 1991, the U.S. opened the first commercial U.S. commercial radiation plant, Vindicator of Florida, uh, for uh, commercial food irradiation. There are various uh, processes in terms of the intensity of the dose, and these lead to categories of food irradiation. Uh, radiurization, radication, radication, rad radicidation, uh, radaparization, if I can pronounce those correctly. And these are all based on radiation dose. In various graphics here, uh, you'll see uh, the international symbol uh, for irradiated food product. It's this small circular uh, green plant. We'll talk about it later in the lecture. It's called the radura. Now, in terms of the radiation processes, uh, radarization, um, this is a radiation dose of 0.75 to 2.5 kilograys. Uh, what we find is that it can inhibit sprouting, uh, delay ripening. Um, it'll de-infestate uh, insects uh, from food products and give many food products uh, shelf life uh, extension. Uh, this particular lower dose uh, radiation process uh, mimics pasteurization. This gives you an example in this graphic of strawberries treated at uh, one kilogray uh, and then stored at, for 25 days at three degrees C. Uh, you can see the background control here, um, and here's the irradiated at one kilogray, and here's irradiated at 1.5 kilogray. This is heated uh, for 10 minutes, uh, control down here, and this is heated and irradiated. And you can see uh, shelf stability of the food product by the absence of mold indicated in the controls. Radicidation um, is 2.5 to 10 uh, kilograys. Um, it eliminates uh, spoilage microorganisms and non-spore forming pathogens. Uh, the problem associated with this uh, uh, reduction in, in uh, pathogens, it's not a complete reduction, and although it might uh, eliminate some spoilage microorganisms because it doesn't eliminate spore-forming uh, bacteria, for example, uh, there still may be a problem associated with some foodborne pathogens. Radaparization is 10 to 50 kilogray. This is a high-dose radiation process. It uh, reduces microorganisms to the point of sterility. Uh, this is useful in uh, many applications. Uh, for instance, it mimics the 12D process for uh, Clostridium botulinum, 12-spore uh, reduction of 12.9% uh, reduction, 12-log uh, cycle reduction in uh, spore forming. Uh, it's not approved for general use in food. It's a high-energy, high-dose process. It is uh, perhaps got application in diets for the immune deficient and for military and NASA operations where sterility and very long shelf stability is required. Next three slides give you kind of a presentation of what the various types of facilities look like in each one of these cartoons, the idea in terms of uh, is, is very straightforward. Typically, we have a, uh, a source in terms of the ionizing radiation. In this particular place, we have the storage pool, and you can see it blue from the Chernikov radiation. Uh, the uh, control materials, in this case, the cobalt uh, 60 materials, are raised into the radiation room. The radiation is then uh, dosed to a food commodity that is going into and out of the protected. Uh, radiation shielded facility on a moving conveyor belt. Uh, they're loaded and unloaded uh, pre and post processing. In terms of an x-ray facility, we've all gone to the doctor to get an x-ray. Think of yourself as a, uh, a, a palletized uh, food product uh, going into and out of an x-ray facility where we have high energy 
uh, x-rays uh, being uh, beamed down onto food products being passed on a, uh, a moving pallet system. In terms of electron beam facilities, a similar sort of process. Uh, we have an electron uh, beam accelerator and then various electron optics to change the direction of the beam. The beam is then directed down here to the food product uh, for the uh, ionization and uh, uh, sterilization of the food product. Now, some of the benefits of food irradiation include uh, reduction in foodborne disease uh, in a very similar way to uh, pasteurization of dairy products. Um, there is a reduction in food spoilage and therefore the resulting increase in the food supply from, uh, in terms of food availability. There is a reduction of insect infestations. Uh, there is a prevention of sprouting. Uh, it delays ripening to enhance uh, shelf stability. Um, it does have the indirect uh, effect of reducing the use of fumigants in terms of food, food storage, uh, uh, in terms of food warehousing. Uh, it is cheaper than freezing and refrigeration in terms of uh, in enhanced uh, uh, saving of uh, perishable foods. The food safety concerns associated with food irradiation have been managed uh, by uh, FDA. They have gone into four basic uh, aspects of food safety, the radiological safety, the toxicological safety in terms of the production of free radicals and uh, the free radical products uh, that are unique to food irradiation. Uh, reviewing the microbiological safety associated with uh, uh, food safety and food irradiation, and as well the uh, preservation or reduction in nutrients associated with food irradiation. Now in terms of radiation or radiological safety, um, there uh, is no concern because the gamma rays uh, associated with food irradiation processes are too low of energy to produce any sort of radioactivity and excited state radioactive products within food. In terms of the safety concerns regarding toxicity of some of the products, the Bureau of Foods uh, Radiated Foods Committee reviewed all the available toxicology data, uh, essentially uh, declaring that no toxicology studies were required at one kilogray or below doses of these low dose uh, radiation events. And this has to do with uh, the relatively low consumption of foods in the diet that might be uh, a part of an irradiation uh, preservation or um, food protection scheme. The higher doses that might be used in food irradiation need to be managed on a case-by-case -case review basis in terms of the potential production of these unique radiolytic products. Uh, these concerns are for radiation above one kilogray. Um, these are for uh, various food products. Uh, the idea in terms of the approach might be uh, is for, for FDA that uh, chemi generic clearance concept is, is forwarded. Uh, this means that the foods of the same class, for instance carbohydrate containing foods, will produce similar products uh, in terms of the oxidative pathway of carbohydrates. Uh, for example, recent paper uh, uh, talked about the effects of irradiation on apple juice and the potential for increased levels of melanodialdehyde, MDA, which is a known mutagen. The toxicity studies uh, as well from FDA's point of view that uh, deal with one muscle food could serve as a source of data for others, so there's a crossover in terms of risk assessment for chicken, red meat, or fish. In terms of the food safety concerns of free radicals that are formed in this uh, uh, radiation, ionizing radiation process, uh, remember that free radicals are also formed by exposure to sunlight and various food processing, uh, food cooking techniques like frying and baking, uh, grinding and drying. Um, free radicals are uh, uh, extremely reactive. Most disappear uh, within milliseconds in terms of their reactivity. They're extraordinarily electrophilic and there's uh, uh, many uh, chances for it to react in the food product. This reactivity is actually part of the basis of the food uh, irradiation uh, process. There are few fewer changes in food irradiation uh, than uh, typical cooking in terms of chemical changes of the food. Some of these are positive, but as you can imagine, some are negative in terms of sensory uh, attributes of the food. 
From a toxicology point of view, the toxicity studies uh, show no adverse effects from uh, the free radicals caused in uh, the food ionization. There are some concerns about the production of URPs, or unique radiolytic products. These are the reactive byproducts of the free radicals that are formed, the oxidative byproducts that are unique to this particular process and not necessarily found in normal food processing and food cooking. Uh, as it turns out, the URPs occur at very low levels. We all know about dose response, and so there's an, uh, a need to analyze the toxicity at these very low doses. The toxicity trials that we have done with these URPs uh, in foods uh, suggest uh, that there is uh, uh, no uh, toxicity of concern. Uh, alkyl cyclobutones is a URP that may be a marker that we can analyze in terms of the relative proportion of URPs that are produced in a food type from ionizing radiation. FDA makes uh, two assumptions regarding URPs uh, from food irradiation. Uh, they assume that URPs are formed. They assume that uh, a one kilogram dose will actually yield three milligrams of URPs per kilogram of food. Um, this is actually a much higher, this is a, a, a risk assessment uh, a model uh, term. Uh, the maximum concentration of URPs is then uh, estimated to be three parts per million, three milligrams per kilogram of food. Um, this is the basis of the acceptance for irradiated food up to one kilogram without any required animal testing in terms of approvals. There are also some food safety concerns regarding uh, micro microbiological attributes of food irradiation. Uh, can we actually, because we are potentially uh, mutating DNA, uh, can we mutate the, the microbes in there for produce uh, more virulent pathogens? Uh, will um, a uh, irradiation reduce some spoilage microbes? and therefore reduce some competition for some of the pathogens that aren't as greatly impacted by food irradiation. Uh, in this image as well, you can see the Radura symbol in terms of food irradiation for this basket of fruit that has been irradiated. Now, there is no evidence that radiation induced, uh, increases uh, virulence. Uh, we do find, for instance, uh, some uh, uh, radophiles, uh, microbes that grow in high radiation environments like nuclear power plants. Uh, we don't find that in uh, food products. Uh, there's more evidence that there is decreased virulence of any surviving microorganisms following food irradiation. Uh, FDA does require proof the process reduces target microbes without allowing uh, botulinum uh, growth uh, in the food product. As it turns out, the major food spoilage bacteria uh, are gram-negative uh, psychotrophs, uh, and they are virtually eliminated by one kilogram radiation. Uh, gram-positive spoilage uh, bacteria are quite resistant, however, up to about five kilogram. That also represents a potential analysis technique of looking at the general proportions in background food products and in irradiated food products of gram-negative to gram-positive bacteria as an indicator that a food has been irradiated. There are some nutritional concerns about food irradiation, uh, questions such as uh, does this irradiation reduce the nutritional quality of food? Uh, is it uh, the food irradiated a significant source of an affected nutrient if there is a change? Uh, what FDA has found in their analyses is that there is no effect of radiation on trace elements or minerals, and this would be obvious because uh, there is no way to kind of get rid of trace elements or minerals uh, and have an effect. You might have a change in terms of the uh, complexation, the binding of the presentation, and absorption and uptake, uh, but you don't get rid of the element itself. There is a potential to change proteins, carbohydrates, and fats, but FDA found in their analysis that they are not affected up to 10 kilogram of dose in food radiation. Um, there are some small macronutrient losses uh, up to 50 kilogram high-dose applications. 
In terms of uh, uh, nutritional uh, sensitivity, as you would imagine, uh, vitamins and particularly antioxidant vitamins are perhaps the most sensitive. Remember that we are inducing oxidative processes in the food product. If there are uh, antioxidant chemicals, there is a higher potential for those to react and therefore not be available in the final finished food product. Uh, there is a varying, uh, there is a dependence on dose, uh, temperature, uh, the atmosphere in terms of where this takes place and the food type. Uh, there are findings that low temperature and uh, limited oxygen uh, in the environment of the dosing uh, is best. Uh, there appears to be some enhanced nutrition in the case of water-soluble vitamins from food irradiation, but the overall conclusion is that you're not likely to have a vitamin deficiency resulting from eating irradiated foods. In terms of uh, the World Health Organization uh, policy statements on the food safety of irradiated foods, they find that there is no adverse toxicological effects on human health. There are no increased microbiological risk. There are no adverse effects on nutritional status. And they also find that uh, irradiated foods are, can be regarded as safe and wholesome at any radiation dose currently used in food irradiation. There are some concerns in terms of the sensory attributes of food. Some of the early trials actually produced some very undesirable sensory qualities, uh, especially in meat. Uh, the sensory uh, attributes in, include uh, burnt, metallic, bitter, cheesy, goaty, or wet dog-like uh, uh, sense of smell and taste to, to the product, uh, obviously an undesirable attribute uh, no matter what the benefits. Um, there are problems with doses as low as 1.5 kilogray. Um, higher doses appear to produce more sensory effects. Um, this has caused uh, the marketplace in terms of meat applications uh, to be very wary of food radiation. What happens in terms of meat products? Uh, the oxidation of myoglobin uh, and fat in meat uh, will cause uh, some off odor and off flavor components if, by people that have researched uh, the uh, uh, actual process uh, associated with the production of these negative sensory attributes. Uh, they can be controlled by irradiating at low temperature in an oxygen-free atmosphere. Uh, some products have been found to be not suitable for radiation. There is some softening evident in some fruits and changes in some aroma and texture, uh, for example, in grapefruits, oranges, pears, avocado, cantaloupes, and plums. Uh, in dairy products, there is the development of some off odors upon irradiation. There are also concerns in terms of the application of food irradiation and packaging. Um, you can, for example, release gases. Uh, there will be an impact not only with the food product, but with the packaging, packaging material, and the chemicals used in ma manufacturing it. Uh, there is the potential for release of low molecular weight hydrocarbons, plasticizers, cross-linking agents, and some of the halogenated polymers associated with uh, uh, food packaging materials. FDA uh, must approve all packaging materials used in food irradiation under 21 CFR 179.45. In terms of the international regulation of food irradiation, uh, the International Joint Experts Committee on Food Irradiation uh, policy statement in 1970 uh, stated that radiation at 10 kilogray was safe. In 1970, FDA approved, uh, again, the one kilogray dose uh, in terms of not requiring additional toxicology studies. Uh, it had negligible, unique radiolytic products. It did protect against some food spoilage organisms, uh, and typically food would spoil before toxins from the microorganisms not impacted by food radiation would develop. In terms of the requirements for labeling, on a wholesale basis, uh, products are marked with treated by irradiation, do not irradiate again to make sure that uh, uh, food products are not double dosed. In terms of a retail, there needs to be a treated by radiation or treated uh, by irradiation uh, with um, uh, the international uh, radura symbol down here at the bottom of this particular slide. Uh, it's uh, perhaps in several different colors from black um, to green uh, to pink and orange. 
but the symbol of the plant uh, in a hatched circle. There are other statements uh, permitted about the purpose of the radiation and type in terms of consumer education that the radiation was done uh, to uh, preserve freshness uh, to control pathogens. Uh, there's some current uh, FDA review associated with food labeling uh, of by food or radiation. Uh, some of the terms that have been suggested in terms of enhancing uh, the consumer acceptance of this technique are uh, using uh, the terminology cold pasteurization uh, as opposed to anything with the radiation. Uh, typically what people find is that once consumers are better educated about the process, there is a higher degree of consumer acceptance. In 1983, there was uh, an approval in terms of inter, uh, food radiation regulation uh, of a 30 kilogray uh, level, dose level for spices. Uh, there's problems of infestation in a range of spices. They do compromise a very small percent of the diet. Um, the various chemical fumigants that were being used in spice preservation were being banned and there was really no other practical way of treatment. In terms of uh, the recent regulatory history in specific foods, 1963.5 kilogram was approved for wheat and flour uh, for insect control, 1964.15 kilogram for white potatoes and sprouting. Uh, Trichinella uh, was treated uh, pending approval in 1985 at one kilogram. Uh, fresh fruit one kilogram in 1986 to delay ripening uh, and infestation, for example, in, that we saw in strawberries. In 1990, poultry was approved at three kilogram for microbial control. Packaged frozen meat uh, only for NASA was approved at 44 kilogram, and this is again for um, sterilization of that particular food product in a very uh, particular application. Uh, 1997, 4.5 kilogram for frozen uh, chilled meats for microbial control. Uh, what we find uh, globally is that there are about uh, 50 routinely irradiated foods uh, in about 36 countries. Uh, numerous countries have irradiation facilities. In terms of consumer acceptance, 1995 survey uh, examined uh, the impact of uh, uh, irradiated foods in the marketplace. 72% uh, of the respondents were aware of the process, 82% did not know much about it, 45% uh, indicated they would buy it, while 19% indicated they would not uh, buy it, 36% uh, had not made uh, a choice or a decision or formed an opinion on food radiation. Most were worried about food additives, uh, pesticides, animal drugs, hormones, and bacteria in food products. Uh, this particular survey uh, indicated that consumers are willing to pay about 81 cents per meal to avoid a foodborne illness. Uh, this is about 10 times the cost of irradiation in terms of food production. 92% in some surveys indicated uh, they favored some sort of labeling, again, to make a consumer choice about whether or not to use foods uh, that had been irradiated. In terms of food or radiation uh, problems associated with the regulation in the marketplace, uh, by looking at a food you can't really tell if it has been irradiated and so that's why labeling uh, has become a major issue. But many of these same challenges occur by other methods of uh, preservation. Another problem in terms of management is assessing the dose of radiation to make sure that in uh, uh, a HACCP sort of environment that you can control. Uh, in terms of good manufacturing practices, uh, what uh, foods are being dosed and at what dose they are being treated. In terms of uh, the detection of food irradiation, in terms of follow-up analysis, we can look at food irradiation byproducts uh, from a chemical, physical, histological, and morphological uh, uh, analytical process. Um, in terms of chemical analysis, we can look at lipids and DNA. Um, we can look at uh, some byproducts like 2-alkyl cyclobutone um, as uh, one of the uh, uh, markers from irradiated fatty acids. Uh, in terms of analysis, uh, proof of concept, there is a 99% detection in 134 samples uh, that uh, either were or were not irradiated. 
Uh, DNA analysis shows some promise. Uh, there are single and double strand breaks and uh, cross-licking changes in terms of the DNA. Uh, it is harder to tell from other processing effects that might uh, be associated with uh, uh, denaturing the DNA in terms of traditional uh, cooking and processing. In terms of physical attributes that might be used in uh, detection of food irradiation, uh, things like membrane damage, uh, electrical impedance changes, for example, in potatoes, uh, doing electron spin resonance, uh, a form of spectroscopy on uh, bone-containing food uh, or shellfish, and thermal and near-infrared analyses, for example, on spices, doing a comparison uh, pattern recognition analysis of the near IR patterns. We can also use histology to look at the viability of seeds and fruit, uh, look at examine for cell structural damage associated with the radiation, uh, this is a little bit time-consuming, may not be practical for a routine analysis. And as I said before, because we have a higher uh, degree of interaction of radiation, ionizing radiation with uh, gram-negative uh, bacteria, the ratio of gram-positive to gram-negative bacteria might be useful as, again, a benchmark of uh, radiation. Now, in terms of some of the best candidates uh, for uh, detection uh, for lipid foods, these hydrocarbons or alkyl cyclobutones uh, for bone-containing, again, ESR, thermoluminescence uh, for spices, but it's apparent at this point that no one technique is available for all foods uh, that might have undergone food irradiation. In terms of non-food-related concerns about food irradiation processes, uh, there's obviously uh, workplace exposure uh, to uh, people that are employed at food irradiation facilities or uh, obviously to, to the uh, nearby public. Um, the potential for increased risk of nuclear accidents, uh, the uh, potential to add to nuclear waste, um, and uh, perhaps uh, its approach to managing uh, radioactive waste, the development of radiation-resistant microbes, uh, and the effect uh, on potential effect on the environment and groundwater. All of these concerns are similar concerns to other uses of radiation, including uh, the radiation, uh, for instance, the uh, cesium-137 or cobalt-60 pencils that are used in medical applications of uh, in radiologic uh, medicine. In terms of radiation hazards to workers, uh, these sorts of uh, applications and storage of radioactive materials are extraordinarily highly regulated, uh, especially now in the days of terrorism. Uh, there's tremendous access control and safety, uh, almost uh, military bunker-like in terms of uh, preserving uh, security around these facilities. Um, the only incidents that may happen in these facilities would be a violation of safety procedures that uh, are on the same order uh, of violations of safety procedures at any hazardous uh, material workplace, uh, such as uh, being electrocuted in a plant. Uh, having worked in various processing plants in my life, uh, in paper mills and pulp mills, uh, these are hazardous places as well. Uh, the examining the potential for increased nuclear accidents in these type of processes. This is not a nuclear power plant. Uh, there's no effluent, no p real strong potential for release. Uh, the cobalt pencils, and they look just like pencils, uh, about uh, 12 inches long, about uh, half a centimeter wide. Uh, they can actually be stored on site. They have about a 5.3-year uh, half half-life. Um, there is no real possibility of meltdown in these particular situations because the energies are too low. Um, they actually tend to store their own uh, waste on site, um, and uh, it's not a huge amount of radioactive material that's required for food irradiation. Uh, the total cobalt-60 production in the United States, I believe, is uh, would fill uh, about uh, one or two square meters uh, a year. In terms of uh, uh, adding to nuclear waste, cobalt pencils are pretty negligible. Uh, there's about uh, uh, negligible compared to total nuclear waste, which values about 2.7 uh, million cubic feet per year. Uh, there is a potential that, in fact, uh, low-level waste uh, can actually be used uh, for um, this particular application. Uh, in terms of the generation of radiation-resistant microbes, we find that uh, they do exist. Uh, they're not particularly competitive in terms of people that have done 
microbial research, uh, and they're not particularly viable. In terms of groundwater impacts, cobalt-60 is not water-soluble, and it isn't typically an environmental concern. Now, in terms of the future and food uh, radiation, we find uh, that uh, there is uh, uh, um, an implementation uh, following its approval of uh, using food irradiation in meat and poultry processing. Uh, we may see more of that in the future. Uh, this might be not necessarily by the uh, gamma radiation, but by uh, X-rays and electron beams. Uh, these. Uh, second-generation techniques. Uh, there needs to be a development of suitable packaging uh, such that the ionizing radiation will have minimal impact in terms of the transfer of contaminants from packaging into the food product. Uh, there will have to be additional effort to develop methods to detect irradiated foods uh, so we can do marketplace surveys and so that consumers that have uh, expressed a preference, uh, a choice in the marketplace based on their own needs and desires uh, can uh, actually have access to the food uh, that they want, whether it be irradiated or not. We obviously need uh, additional education of the public on uh, the risks and benefits associated with food irradiation and as well additional research in terms of satisfying the demands of the precautionary principle, satisfying the demands of life cycle assessment of this new process for food technology. Well, that again gives you uh, perhaps uh, a limited introduction, but enough knowledge uh, to understand the uh, potential food toxicology interaction with uh, food irradiation. Uh, next time, what we're going to do for a series of two lectures is actually start talking about uh, the natural world and some of the natural uh, toxicants uh, that uh, nature presents to us uh, in terms of our relationship to environment, uh, our relationship to plant and animal systems. Until that time, we'll see you again. Thanks.